0: Happy holidays, everyone. Our lovely podcast listeners. This is Laura. Thanks for joining me. While we know you're listening, we know many of you are not yet actually subscribing to this podcast. Why not? Take a moment to subscribe. Even if it doesn't matter to you, it matters to us. And if you're an Apple podcast subscriber, take a moment to write a review if you're enjoying the show and share it with some friends. What do you get from commercial media? Anger, angst, and ads. We try to provide an alternative. And how are we doing? Tell us. Share how this episode or others have moved you. Hearing from you is an amazing gift to me and the crew. Our year-end fundraiser is right around the corner. But right now, we're just asking for some love. So how about it? Share some love on social media. Post about the show. And why not spread the word to two or three of your friends? Keep the buzz growing. Now on with this week's show. Hi, I'm Laura, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, a TV and radio program that shines a light on the solutions of tomorrow today. We report on the people and movements driving systemic change from the worlds of politics, arts, and entrepreneurship. Welcome. When actress Lisa Jesse Peterson took her acclaimed one-woman show to the Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola, for the massive former plantation on which it stands, she'd already performed it in 35 other prisons as well as in theaters around the U.S. The authorities at Angola okayed the performance well ahead of time and arranged for it to be live streamed throughout the facility, which is the nation's largest maximum security site. They gave Peterson permission to bring in her own camera crew. But shortly before start time, filming permission was withdrawn, her cameras barred, and although she went ahead with the program anyway, before she could finish, the guards shut the show down. Why? What happened in that audience of mostly 800 incarcerated men that got the authorities so concerned? Angola Do You Hear Us? Voices from a Plantation Prison is a new MTV documentary from director Sinke Northern and producer Catherine Gund. It tells the story in stock black and white. Clearly the officials at Angola heard something that hit a nerve, but what? We can't speak for the authorities, but our guests have some ideas. With me is Lisa Jessie Peterson herself, the award-winning playwright and actress, and Norris Henderson, former Angola inmate, who co-founded the Angola Special Civic Project while he was incarcerated, and Vote, Voice of the Experienced, a group focused on criminal justice reform, upon his release. If ever you have wondered what difference a play makes or if context for a performance matters, stay tuned. Let me start with you, Norris. First, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you, and congratulations on this film, both of you. It's an extraordinary document. For those who don't know Angola, or at least don't know it as well as you do, Norris, tell us who's there, where we are talking about, what Angola is like.
1: Uh, Angola is uh, 18,000 acres large. Uh, it's the largest land-based prison in America. Uh, the population at the time we was doing the film at the time I was there, the population went from 5,000 to 6,000 and uh, population predominantly people of color. I would venture to say 85% of the population are African American males.
0: Why was it so important for you to go there, Lisa? You'd performed in lots of other places. What made Angola special? 20
2: years ago when I uh, was starting to write the play, I stumbled upon information about the Angola Three, which were um, three incarcerated men who served um, an extreme uh, draconian amount of time in solitary confinement. Um, Albert Woodfox, um, Herman King, um, and oh, help me out Norris. um,
1: Herman and Robert.
2: Herman and Robert, yes, thank you, thank you. And so that um, piqued my interest uh, about the institution, but the fact that Angola sits on an actual plantation, was something that um, horrified me and intrigued me, and the name of the play, "Peculiar Patriot," um, harkens to a time when uh, the institution of slavery um, in the Antebellum South was referred to as the peculiar institution. So the name of my play is a um, is a, is a play on the 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 term that um, was used for. Slavery. So I thought, what better um, you know location to bring this play than to an actual plantation that has been repurposed into a prison?
0: We're going to hear a whole lot more about that. Let's check out the trailer of Angola. Can you hear us? Voices from a plantation prison.
2: Because of the significance of the land I was on, it was more than a performance. It felt like a calling. It felt like, like a mission. Angola was
1: a plantation. Just because you see prison with your physical eyes, what do you see beyond that? Start questioning, why do we send people to prison? And who's actually here? My best friend, she said, you got a
2: story to tell. Write that down. And I just put the rage on the page because I had to do something.
1: Man, we need
2: help. I've been to 35 prisons across the country, but this I knew was historical. To be on a prison plantation,
1: not just to perform, but to activate. Everybody clung on to every word that she said. I'm telling you, that place erupted. You jump-started our hearts and our minds. Here was some truth that somebody couldn't handle. Everybody knew why it was being shut down. When I
2: walked out on stage, I didn't even give it any thought. It was instinctive. I said, bam. I was in the presence of a whole bunch of sleeping giants. And I said, oh, they awake now.
0: That's a trailer from the film we're discussing that documents the performance in 2020 by our guest, Lise Jesse Peterson, of her play Peculiar Patriot. It ends with the Performance being shut down. Can you can you describe that moment, Lisa? What happened? I was performing my play, and
2: I thought everything was going fine. the The audience was having a great time, um, audibly and visually. You know, people were laughing, and um, you know, I was in the in my zone as a performer. So I go backstage to get ready for my next scene, and um, there was an officer standing. Uh, with Norris and Norris informed me that um there was an emergency and the play had to stop. And I just instinctively knew that that there was not an emergency. So I just decided to, you know, come out and do a curtain call, um, as if the play was officially ended, even though it was prematurely ended. And so I went out and my normal curtain call, which is, you know, a, a you know, respectful bow. I just saw the men and the energy that I felt, and I just threw my fist in the air, and that created an uproar.
1: The thing about it was, this had been pre-approved months in advance for Lisa to come in. We had sent in the play for them to screen, and everything was a go. This was a day that Lisa can come in and entertain the guys. And in that moment, though, it it was kind of like this transformation. It was almost like you tell a story about how people behave. And then in this moment, you actually saw that truth manifest itself. You know, when we start talking about the prison industrial complex, what you represent, how these folks are making money on the battery off, from the telephone, from the commissary, the whole nine yards, you hear people talk about that, but you never see it manifest.
0: So let me bring you into that, Lisa, because that very moment, it didn't happen just any place, as Norris is talking about, the 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 shutdown, the, the guards got that uncomfortable at the precise moment that you were hitting a message that had actually hit a nerve with you back in 1998. And in the documentary, you describe that very same truth-telling as being what kind of set you on your mission. So when I was um, a teaching artist at Rikers Island, uh, back
2: in 1998, it was actually a correctional officer that um, referred to the adolescent boys who were 16, 17 and 18 years old, um, detained at Rikers Island. And he told me that I was on a modern day plantation and he pointed to the boys and he said, they're the new crops, they're the new cotton. And I was so shocked because I had never heard this language before. I had never heard this metaphor of prison and um, slavery, um, you, know, you know, being one in the same, um, you know. And so he sent me down, he literally boop, boop kicked me down the rabbit hole. And so I started doing research into the prison industrial complex. And it just took me further and further down into the draconian institution um, that we now refer to as mass incarceration and the, um, the profitability of the industry was, as I said in the film, it was um, heartbreaking and infuriating. And so the more research I did, it just found its way. I incorporated it into the
0: play. So fast forward, Norris, how did Peculiar Patriot, Lisa's play, end up coming to Angola? Were you involved in that?
1: Yes, yes. It was, matter of fact, it was my initiation. Uh, I invited uh, Lisa and I are part of an um, organization called Art for Justice, and is connecting activists with artists. And uh, we had a convening here in New Orleans, and I took a tour of folks to Angola. Uh, and while we were there, I was explaining to the group what you know what the inner workings of the institution was. And when I mentioned to Lisa that there was a drama club there that guys would put on plays and skits and stuff for us, she got excited. She was like, oh man, I would sure love to come and uh, perform for the guys. I said, well, let's work on that.
0: And let's give our audience a little bit more on your history. I mean, you had the pull that you had and the relationship you had with that prison from the inside out. How many
1: years were you there for? 27 years, 10 months, and 18 days. You know, spent a while there, but uh, I tell people all the time, prison was a bad experience with good results because I wouldn't be doing the work that I do now I had it not been for that negative experience. I would, we wouldn't be having this conversation had I not had that negative experience. And so, there's value in those lessons learned while I was there, and those relationships that I built while I was there, and it was based upon those relationships. That I was able to open the door, not just for Lisa to come in, uh, but for you know hundreds of people to come in.
0: You're listening to The Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. I'm speaking with Norris Henderson, a co-founder of Voice of the Experienced, or Vote, a criminal justice reform group, and a former inmate at the Angola prison. Also with me, Lisa Jessie Peterson, acclaimed playwright and actress. We're talking about the performance that she did of her one woman play, The Peculiar Patriot, at Angola, and what unfolded right then, causing God's to shut the performance down. It's the subject of a new MTV documentary, Angola Do You Hear Us? Voices from a Plantation Prison. Lisa Peterson is also the author of a book, All Day, A Year of Love and Survival, Teaching Incarcerated Kids, about her experience teaching kids at Rikers Island. You can watch this episode and see Lisa and Norris in action on our YouTube channel, or on over 300 public television stations around the country. To find the station nearest you, go to LauraFlanders.org. and while you're there sign up for our weekly newsletter to receive information on all our web events and audio exclusives including the upcoming podcast release of the full uncut version of today's conversation coming up while lisa peterson's performance was an eye-opener for the inmates we'll hear how it had a very different effect on the guards but first here's Hope by Samora Pinderhughes, featuring Elena Pinderhughes, Neo Norwood, and Gebriel Jackson from Pinderhughes' album, Grief. The album is part of The Healing Project, a multidisciplinary project created and developed by Samora Pinderhughes. Here's Hope. Like is illegal while we wash up all the blood of the people people. wash up all the I'm still so struck by that phrase in your play where you say, you know, same plantation, new job title. Was that a new thought to the people that were in that audience, Norris? Or was she just saying it from a stage, something that you, from the inside, had already been thinking about, aware of, et cetera?
1: I think what made the moment, it wasn't so much of the guys. It was how security responded to that. The guys were kind of like all in, like she's saying her. Guys were laughing. Some guys were crying. Because it was in that moment that, you know, you get in this moments where you kind of like become politicized. And in that moment for those guys who already knew the ugly history of the farm, they was like all in. For the guys, for some guys, this was that wake-up one. It was that moment that people had been telling him about, and he was like, nah, I'll say it ain't so. But then that moment when she started telling that story, and again, it started reckoning with people. People start reconciling with their own situations like, oh, she's talking about me. You know, oh, that was similar to my circumstance. And then the bigger picture of the prison industrial complex, they got it. That is a plantation by every definition of a plantation. One of the rude awakenings for me was, we were picking cotton. And in that moment, I got this long sack. And that has to be filled up before the end of the day. And all I can envision going down that road, picking cotton, it was like no trash, just the cotton. Because if you had trash in your bag, you're going to get punched. You're going to get locked up. And then thinking about, man, this is what my ancestors have been through and reliving that. And for some of us, you know, we kind of like learn to swallow it. You know, it didn't taste good, but you learn to swallow it. But that day is almost a woke up that sleeping giant. And that giant was the day, the day is the day that this is going to stop.
2: What I was saying in my play just reaffirmed what they had probably been trying to tell so many people. They were ringing their own alarm. And so I come along and I reaffirm what they've already been doing. And then the ones who, you know, may have been kind of, maybe, is it really? I'm not sure. Then it, it just ignited, um, ignited them to, to let them know, yes, it's true. And then when they shut it down, it just affirmed that what I was saying
0: was actually true. Well, while we're talking about igniting, you, you say in another part of the I film, are, that he's part he's of he's your he's project he's is he's to he's ignite he's imagination.
2: To a let me introduction. Let me ask you this. Um, If this was your last time to ever say anything, what would be the last thing you would say? What would you tell us? Mm. Harriet Tubman, she was born into slavery. That's all she knew. Right. But she saw something bigger than what she saw with her own physical eyes. Right. So just because you see prison with your physical eyes, what do you see beyond that? Because if she could see freedom when all she saw was plantation and slave life, then we can envision a life and a world without mass incarceration.
1: Sis, and I know it's safe to see because I can speak for every individual in here, because I'm the voice of the youngsters, and I'm the voice of the older guys in here. Man, we need help in here.
0: In that clip, and I love it, Lisa, you you challenge the notion, in fact, that you can't be what you cannot see. And I've always thought, in fact, generations have been what they could not see. Um, You talk about imagining a world without prisons, a world without incarceration. To what extent have you seen that imagining take off since this performance, either at Angola or elsewhere that you work, or in your own life?
2: So I've seen uh, restorative justice, which is uh, a form of um, bringing both parties, the injured and the person who did the injuring together um, as a healing modality. I had never seen that before when I first entered into this work. Um, so many, um, you know, uh, uh, re-entry programs, vote being one of them, you know, just really giving, um, you know, people who are justice impacted. Um, you know, information, um, political
1: infrastructure to to use their use their power to make change. The last question you kind of like asked Lisa about the impact is we didn't see the impact that it actually had on the guys, but when we were here recently to do a premiere of. Uh, Angola, can you hear us, some of the guys who were actually present in the audience in Angola is actually on the streets. And those guys shared with us their intimacy around what that place was like after we left. And it was like one guy who, when it was live streaming, he was watching it in another location in the prison and how excited everybody was and how disgruntled it became when they shut it down. And it's like with anything else. It was like, if they didn't want us to see it, it must was something good for us to see. And so we channeled that. We channeled that into getting elected a progressive prosecutor. We got a a new sheriff uh, in uh, our parish, which is our county. And so it- The first black woman sheriff. First black woman sheriff in the history of this state. And uh, all of that came because those guys in that moment realized that you actually do have power, but that power is collective. How do we collectivize our stories, our suffering? And uh, the story of me becomes the story of us, and we turn those stories into action. VOTE
2: had was boots on the ground for many years um, at Angola, and VOTE had infrastructure, a mechanism already in place So when I came, I activated the people who were in attendance, and Norris, through Vote, was able to harness and channel that energy, that electrifying energy, into um, channels that they had already had set up. They had already had the mechanisms in place. So it was a beautiful intersection of art and activism.
0: This year in 2022, we saw several states pass ballot initiatives banning exactly the kind of prison unpaid labor, slavery labor, that you were kind of putting your finger on there in Angola. I want to ask both of you if you feel like this is the sort of cutting edge, the, the, the leading edge of where the movement is today. And what? makes that intersection between incarceration and capitalism, our economy and our communities, um, so potent.
1: This is the cutting edge right now, because people are becoming more and more aware about why these institutions exist. And And I tell people, the fence is not to keep people in, the fence is to keep people out. You know, And so it's people like you, Laura, that will give voice to this because your listening audience or your viewing audience, I probably never got the opportunity to speak to some of them or none of them, but this gives us an opportunity to tell the Paul Harvey version of that story.
0: I and always say true. that you, your is, your isolation is our isolation too. Um, that's right, exactly. Lisa, exactly. to you, same question. What makes this intersection so potent, and perhaps this moment so potent?
2: Um, because people are ready for something different. People are, I think, at the um, at the tipping point, the breaking point. I'm hopeful that you know. They always say, um, you know the there's a breakdown before the breakthrough. And I think we're witnessing the breakdown. So
0: I'm applauding the breakdown because I know on the other side is the breakthrough. Before we close, I'd love both of you to address the question we always ask at the end of our show, which is what do you think the story will be that the future tells of this moment?
1: I think the story the future would tell them now is that this was a challenging time. And I think the, the, the resiliency or the resistance, I, I take resiliency back, the resistance of the people was that they felt that if they can look up, they can get up. And so it kept this thing going. I mean, you know, for to being a country that was founded through resistance, I think we're in that moment now. And I think if we look at the last election cycle, it was that resistance, that we're not going backwards no more. We have kind of like playing our flag and from this day forward, we would look back at the uh, early 20s, you know, the 2000s and say, oh, that was some tumultuous times, but we got through it. And we got through it because the story of me became the story of us. We collectivized our stories.
0: Well, that's where art and theater come in, right, Lisa? Absolutely, absolutely. Art activates people's hearts. When you activate
2: people's hearts. And you can get people to um, change their consciousness and their consciousness then turns into action. So I think that um, people will look back at this moment and scratch their heads at the, depth, the depths of inhumanity that uh, this country was able to languish in for so long. And the imagination and the will to create and build something different, to build something that includes empathy and humanity and healing.
0: We had a, a Sarah Jones, your Deaf Poetry dram colleague on the show not so long ago. She says, hurt people, hurt people and free people, free people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. It's been great having you, Norris. Lisa, I appreciate it. Congratulations on the film. I want to encourage people to check it out. We'll put more information at our website. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Isolation, lockdown. We started using those words a lot during the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic to describe the ways that we were living in our homes, socially distancing in order to stop the spread of a pandemic disease. We used the words casually, but the effects were real enough. And more than one person this Thanksgiving told me that what they were most grateful for was breaking out of isolation and returning to a world of human touch. Our experience of isolation, though, is nothing in comparison to what is experienced by people in this country's prisons and even our jails. The Angola Three in Angola Prison, Louisiana State Penitentiary, spent decades in isolation. Two of the three, 40 years each, in 23-hour-a-day lockdown. Think about it. Prisoners can't break themselves out of isolation, but we can. Many states and cities are right now considering ending the practice as it's used as a means of punishment and control. But isolation is something that people on the outside can do something about too, by adopting prisoners to write to or even visit, so that we would learn more about what they're actually going through. The film about the play, Peculiar Patriot, that was shut down in mid-performance at Angola prison is out now streaming on TV. You can check it out and find my full uncut conversation with today's guests by subscribing to our free podcast. In the meantime, thank you for breaking out of your isolation and for being kind and curious. For more information on this week's show and links to previous episodes we've done around abolition and the movement to end mass incarceration, not to mention the intersection between incarceration and capitalism. Go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show and check out this episode's episode notes. That's also where you'll find an invitation to watch the premiere of each week's show on our YouTube channel and chat live in real time with me. That's Sundays, 1130 Eastern. Thanks to our members who have joined our hive by supporting the show. It is commercial free. You'll hear no ads, but we do rely on you to keep this show buzzing along on the airwaves free. Our holiday membership drive is right around the corner. Can we count on you to do your part? Go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show and join our busy hive of pollinators by becoming a sustaining member or Patreon partner by giving monthly whatever feels comfortable to you. Or you can go to lauraflanders.org forward slash donate to make a one-time donation. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, along with Sabrina Artel, Nat Needham, David Newman, Rory O'Connor, Alicia Duque, Jeanette Hernandez, and Jeannie Hopper. Major funding for this program is provided by the Novo Park, Ellen Post Family, Hisuku Wilson Foundations, the Schumann Media Center, Rising Fund at Tides, Kim Connor and Nick Groombridge, Jane Fonda, and listeners like you. Thanks for listening, thanks for contributing, thanks for your ideas. Stay kind, stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.